0: If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com.
1: This episode originally aired on our Patreon. We will be back with brand new episodes soon. Thank you for your patience as Josh heals from heart surgery. This is Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content...
0: Alicia's last episode, Maintain Dignity, she discussed familicide, a type of murder or murder-suicide where someone kills their family members in quick succession. In her episode, she outlined three cases, all different in their own ways. Like many of you, I found myself thinking about it a lot over the past week and decided that I'd like to discuss another familicide case, one from Oklahoma that I have found to be incredibly haunting. The Bever family was large. David Bever and his wife April had seven children together Robert, Michael, Crystal, Daniel, Victoria, and baby Autumn. The family lived in a five bedroom, 4,592 square foot house on a picturesque property along Magnolia Court Road. After their youngest daughter was born premature, the couple founded a nonprofit organization to help other parents with their premature babies. The Bevers were a Christian family and centered their lives around the Bible, avoiding much of the influences of people on the outside, which might be why all of their children were homeschooled by April. Many neighbors have reflected that the Bevers kept to themselves and never really mingled with any of the people in the neighborhood. In fact, the neighbors didn't know all of the names of the family members until news of a horrific tragedy would be plastered in the media the next day. Around 11:30 p.m. on July 22, 2015, a 911 call was made from 709 Magnolia Court in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma.
1: Broken Arrow 911. Hello. Hello. Hi. Where are you at? Broken hey, Arrow, Oklahoma. Seven four one one. What address? Seven zero nine Magnolia Court. Seven. So, okay. Are you the only one there? No, my brother's attacking my family. Your dad is attacking your family? No, my brother. He has an idea of killing Oh, um, and people died. Okay, who's attacking your family? What? Uh, who's attacking your family? Yes. Who? Who is it? Do they have a are you there hello hi what's going on there what's going on there hello
0: hello In that clip, you hear 12-year-old Daniel Bever asking for help as he tries to describe that his brother is attacking his family. Another voice can be heard on the line moments later before the call abruptly ends. The dispatcher called the number back, and after a few rings, someone picked up the phone but didn't speak a word. After a few more moments, they hung up. Daniel died not long after he made the call, but his action ensured that not everyone in his family would. Two police officers arrived on scene at 11.34 p.m. after being prepped for a domestic violence situation. Upon their arrival, they could hear faint whimpers for help behind the front door. The victim was unable to unlock the door, so the officers kicked the door down and discovered a teenage girl covered in blood and stab wounds begging for help. That's when she told them her two brothers had murdered their family. 13-year-old Crystal was pulled from the house and taken to receive medical care for her stab wounds at a nearby hospital. Police then carefully entered the home to conduct a room-by-room search, looking for both victims as well as perpetrators. With every room, they realized the full scale of the horror that took place. Inside, they discovered several bodies, including the father, 54-year-old David Bever, who had 28 stab wounds to his face, neck, arm, and torso. The mother, 45-year-old April Bever, who had been killed by blunt force trauma and had more than 48 stab wounds to her head, neck, arms, hands, and torso. And their three children, 12-year-old Daniel Bever, who had 21 stab wounds to his back, shoulders, and chest. Seven-year-old Christopher Bever, who had 21 stab wounds to his back, chest, shoulder, and lower leg and 5-year-old Victoria Bever, who had 23 stab wounds to both sides of her neck, her chest, back, and upper arm. In one of the upstairs bedrooms, 2-year-old Autumn lay unharmed and asleep in her crib. This left two children unaccounted for, the eldest sons, 18-year-old Robert and 16-year-old Michael. After being unable to find them in the home, police noted that the boys likely slipped through the back door, which lay open. A canine unit met police at the house and began a search of the property. Before long, the dogs picked up a scent, and in under 10 minutes, both boys were located in the woods behind their house. One of the dogs bit the younger boy, Michael, before police had them both held at gunpoint. Both boys were handcuffed and searched, and police could clearly see that they were covered in dirt and blood and wearing body armor. As both of the boys were taken into custody to be interviewed, one of the police officers heard Robert say to Michael, It was a pleasure doing business with you. Despite their religious upbringing and their education being focused at home, David and April allowed their children plenty of access to video games, phones, iPads, computers, and of course, the internet. The internet is where the brothers and best friends Robert and Michael spent much of their time and found their passions. On the Internet, they spent their time playing games like Minecraft and searching the web for information on mass shootings and serial killings. Prior to the night of July 22nd, the boys planned their future, one filled with celebrity and notoriety. They intended to earn their fame by becoming two of the most notorious killers in history. You see, not only did they want to kill people, they also wanted to do their part to cleanse the world. According to Robert, who would later testify to this, their parents talked about how they hated people and their negative influences and that there would be retribution as a biblical apocalypse was coming, perhaps fueled by the impressions their parents supposedly made on them or perhaps not. They both had a strong fascination with serial killers and school shooters. In particular, the Columbine High School shooters Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, who killed 12 classmates and one teacher after executing a well-planned attack on their high school on April 20th, 1999. According to Michael, both of them had plans to be famous. They wanted to slaughter people. In fact, their goal was to kill 50 to 500 people while on a cross-country murder spree. Their motive for killing their family was to kick things off with a bang and have a higher kill count and to get them out of their way so that they could help to decrease the population on their own, just like Robert's favorite movie, Rampage, from 2009. The movie Rampage loosely follows a true story about a man who goes on a murder spree wearing body armor and killing random people. In preparation for their plans, Robert spent months working at a call center, one where he answered calls made by people in religious need and prayed with them. He used the money he made to purchase weapons and armor. Turns out in Oklahoma, 18-year-old Robert could legally purchase guns and ammunition without a permit. This opened doors for him, so to speak. He began detailed planning on the murders he wanted to commit, the weapons he would need to do so, and at some point, he looped in his younger brother so that the pair could plan together. They decided they wanted to kill people in groups of five at a time by shooting them in places like stores and gas stations all the way from Oklahoma to Washington State. The guns they needed were purchased online and sent to a gun shop, but the bullets and armor would be shipped directly to their home. There was one problem with this plan. Their parents would likely notice bullets showing up at the house. They would likely interfere with their plans of mass murder, so they needed to begin by killing their family. Their kickoff to their new life, one of murder and mayhem, officially took place on the evening of July 22nd. Thanks to their little brother Daniel's quick thinking to call 911, the lives of two of their sisters were saved. Crystal's testimony given at the hospital, paired with the interviews of Robert and Michael, give us a very clear idea of what happened that night. The day of July 22nd, the pair had been regularly discussing when they should commence their killing spree. And after worrying about their parents' interference, they determined they were ready to begin. 2,000 rounds of pistol ammunition and 250 rounds of shotgun ammunition were ordered online and scheduled to be delivered at the home on July 23rd. There was only the slightest matter of their guns, which were sitting at the gun shop waiting to be picked up before they could truly start their spree. But they had already procured several knives and hatchets, and they would begin with those. As everyone headed off to bed, April asked Crystal to tell her brothers to do the dishes before they went to sleep. When she went into the room to let them know about the dishes, Michael asked Robert if they should, quote, do it right now, to which Robert said yes. Michael then asked Crystal to take a look at something on his laptop. As she bent to review the screen, Robert walked up behind her, placed his hand over her mouth and slit her throat with one of the knives. The boys' plans were to first kill Crystal quickly, hide her body in the closet, and move on through the family, killing others one by one by slitting their throats in their sleep. They would then dismember them and put their bodies in totes and hide them in the attic. But they didn't expect Crystal to fight back, which she did. Crystal ran to tell the other kids to hide and then took off toward the front door screaming, holding her neck as she did. She made it through the front door but passed out on the lawn. She then awoke while Robert dragged her back inside, stabbing her repeatedly in the abdomen. The commotion of Crystal's attack woke their mother, April, who came downstairs to investigate. As Crystal lay suffering from her wounds, including a slit throat, several defensive wounds, and multiple deep stab wounds to her abdomen that left her internal organs visible, she could hear the screams of her mother, who was under attack. April fought the attack by Robert, even biting him and attempting to grab the knife. But it was brutal, leaving her with the most stab wounds of all of the family members. She eventually died and the brothers moved on to attack their younger siblings. Having listened to their older sister's demands to run and hide, the younger children Christopher and Victoria ran to the bathroom to lock themselves in. Michael knocked on the door and pretended that Robert was trying to kill him. When they opened the door to help him, he stabbed them both to death. While his siblings and mother were being attacked, Daniel grabbed Michael's cell phone and locked himself in his father's office. This is where he made the 911 call to beg for help. Michael again used the tactic of trying to trick Daniel into thinking Robert was attacking him. It worked. Daniel opened the door to let Michael in, but he was met with both brothers. Michael then said, quote, he's all yours, and Robert grabbed Daniel and started stabbing through his pleas to be spared. Daniel had several stab wounds to his back as he tried to run away. During most of the attacks, their father David remained asleep on the lower level of the home. He eventually woke up due to the screaming and came upstairs to try and stop Robert. Robert quickly thrust his knife into his father's chest when David tried to take him down, and he continued stabbing him until he was deceased. As David was being murdered, police were already dispatched to the home, so before long, the boys heard the sirens outside the front door, and they decided to take off through the back door. They had originally wanted to steal their mother's car, but were unable to find the keys, and obviously the events of the night didn't go as planned. The entire attack took about 10 minutes. Both brothers were charged with five counts of murder in the first degree and one count assault and battery with the attempt to kill Crystal Bever. Robert, being 18, was eligible for the death penalty due to his age and the severity of the crime, and Michael, 16, was charged as an adult. Something we don't talk a lot about is the impact trials can have on surviving family members in these types of cases. We've definitely touched on it here and there, like in the Diane Downs case, but this case was pretty interesting due to the empathy that I think the DA showed for Crystal. Her two brothers were going to trial for the murder of nearly her entire family, and in order to take her brother Robert to trial, who would have been facing the death penalty, they needed her testimony. So after many conversations about her feelings, the D.A. opted to drop the death penalty so that Crystal didn't have to go through a trial, which could be completely damaging to her mental health. Instead, they offered Robert a deal. No death penalty if he pleaded guilty to all charges. He agreed and ended up getting life without parole for each of the five murders and an additional life sentence for the assault and battery charge. Michael, however, is a different story. He was not facing the death penalty, and his legal team felt that Michael was pressured into the situation and that he didn't actually do the killing. They wanted to go to trial, and they would not take a deal nor claim any guilt. His team planned to seek an insanity plea. Michael's trial began with jury selection on April 16, 2018. Defense didn't ask Michael to testify, but they did choose to have Robert Bever take the stand. Now, in his original confession, he said both him and Michael had equality in planning and executing the murders. In Michael's interview, he admitted to stabbing his mother and brother Christopher. So in the very least, he actively killed two people. Robert also originally said Michael also stabbed Victoria. And when Robert finally took the stand, It was an entirely different story, more in line with the defense team. He instead told the jury that Michael didn't actively kill anyone and he was just involved in the planning. Basically, a big brother taking the blame to protect his younger brother. I guess, but it's also
1: like he still faked that he was being attacked at the door so they could get in and he still participated and he still didn't stop anything. And he's like, sorry if you held the
0: weapon or not, if you didn't stop it. It's on you. Eventually, the prosecution was forced to have Crystal take the stand because she was the only person who witnessed what her brothers did. With Crystal's testimony and the forensic evidence that showed April Bevers' blood covered Michael's body and a knife that held not only her blood but his blood, his fate was sealed. On May 9th, 2018, the jurors came to their verdict after an emotional and challenging trial and five hours of deliberation. Michael Bever, 19 at the time, was charged with five counts of first-degree murder and one count of assault and battery with intent to kill. The judge opted to have Michael serve his sentences for five counts of first-degree murder consecutively, plus another 28 years for his assault and intent to kill. Michael will have parole eligibility after 85% of his sentences served, putting him at around 55, 54, 55 years old. But he has tried to appeal the sentence claiming that five consecutive life sentences at the age of 16 was unconstitutional. Uh, But of course, that appeal was denied because it's not. Legally, the Bever brothers cannot be housed in the same prison. Michael Bever resides in the Lexington Correctional Facility in Lexington, Oklahoma, and Robert Bever resides in the Joseph Harp Correctional Center in Lexington, Oklahoma. In 2020, Robert gained additional life sentences for a prison assault. He was about 24 years old, and he was charged with an assault for bringing a weapon into jail after he attacked a staff member in the day room with an eight-inch-long sharpened instrument. He snuck up behind a psychological clinician and a social services specialist with his weapon with the intent to attack them, but luckily no one was hurt because the specialist put him into a bear hug and wrestled the weapon out of his hand. But now he's got eight life sentences. So not a lot
1: of reform going on there for him. No,
0: I don't think so. And he has been diagnosed with several issues since then. But it's very highly likely that both boys are technically sociopaths. So there's not a lot of rehabilitation that could be done for them, at least not at this age. I'm no expert, though. About a year after the murders, the city decided to purchase the Bever home, tear it down, and use donations to create a memorial park. But another year went by before their plans could be executed, and a fire destroyed the home, and they think that it was caused by arson. Luckily, the fire didn't destroy the plans, and the memorial garden was created and opened in 2019. It's called Reflection Park, and it features a gazebo, walking paths, and a garden designed for monarch butterflies, and it's all in honor of the memory of the Bever family members who were murdered. I can't speak to exactly where Crystal and Autumn are now and how they're doing, but I do know that they were both adopted and taken into the same family in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This one's rough because we do have a lot of audio. The younger boy, Michael, I, I get the impression he's he's not super intelligent, easily manipulated, imp- yeah, easily manipulated, and his brother. Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm wrong saying a total psycho. Hmm. Uh, Michael's interviews are all locked down. The court will not release those. Or excuse me, Roberts. Michael's are released. Um, so it's interesting to be able to hear the entire story from his perspective. And he was the younger one? He was the younger one. He sat with two detectives. But yeah, I mean, he says some disturbing things. Like the boys had planned to kill their youngest sister and chop her head off. They had no emotion whatsoever talking about murdering their entire family, cutting them up, hiding them in the house so that they could, you know, get their deliveries, pack the car and head out of town and just kill everybody they seem to think it was their duty to like decrease the population it's crazy
1: it really makes me curious what those dynamics were like in the home you know were they Mm -hmm. were they kind of reclusive and the two brothers just hung out in their room and they couldn't get them to engage with the
0: family or did the family even notice that they well glad you bring that up yes the entire family was reclusive and I don't know if that's by the kids choices the one neighbor discussed just premature babies with the the neighbor mom. Like they really kept to themselves and the kids were online a lot so I'm guessing inside their rooms. Now Crystal had walked into the boys room at one point and saw the collection of knives out and saw that they had body armor and she went and told her mom because she was concerned like that's Mm. this is weird and the mom basically was like quote boys will be boys like it's no big deal they just like their weaponry Mm. which to an extent can be true. Right. If it's like a BB gun and a plastic or sword like or like samurai something. swords. I know a yeah. lot of boys that collected those. But I, I think to get concerned, like she may have known more. Yeah. I, I don't know. But it definitely, it, it reminds me of the Columbine shooters because their parents had no idea. As much as there may be signs, there are plenty of cases where there are none. Those parents had no idea.
1: Well, it makes me wonder with them being... It sounds like fairly intense religiously that, you know, it makes me wonder with, with any in any case that's religious, you know, not just this family. Was there that space for talking about those things? You know, if she's bringing up a her concern and it's not getting validated, it's just boys will be boys. Probably not. It makes you wonder about any dynamic like that. I have been watching a lot of cult things and, and other things where it's all comes down to this religious side of What
0: you're allowed to talk about. and and Also, in addition to that, if they are technically sociopaths, they um, are unlikely to be able to notice any kind of sign. So basically, Mm. psychologists have said that kids who have sociopathic tendencies, it is incredibly hard to recognize. And looking at like those Columbine shooters, they had no idea. I mean, they weren't digging around in their diaries, though. So. I don't know, it's hard to say, like, even if they wanted to talk about it, would they have noticed anything was off compared to a normal child? And it is hard
1: to say, here's this 16-year-old child whose brain still has 10 years of development ahead of him to sentence him to all these life imprisonments. But then it's like, that's a lot of effort to stab one person 20-something times is a lot of physical effort and a lot of time consumption, yeah. By the time you're maybe, you know, maybe you've killed your first victim, you would think something would click or if you weren't into it or you weren't on board or you weren't part of it, that you would have been like, no, this is too much. But to keep going for 10 minutes, that is an excruciating amount of time.
0: And at least 20 stab wounds per person with that's, their mother having over 40. That's, like that is an incredible, tiring amount of work. Yeah. Yeah. And to be totally unemotional about it, imagine what they would have done to strangers. Right. Um, so Robert, the older one, after he was arrested, he was diagnosed with several issues. Mm. Uh, PTSD, depressive disorder, borderline personality, schizophrenia, and autism. Mm. Um, so him being in control of it and then having this brother who is willing to do anything for him was... Right. I don't know, though. I feel like Michael had way more to do with it than anyone really knows. When he was in jail, they found this journal that he kept and we'll have pictures on the um, attached to this episode. But it was basically pictures of death, pictures of the gravestones of his family. Mm -hmm. And it's told a little bit of the story. And in it were like swastikas and pages dedicated to mass murderers like james holmes who was the colorado movie shooter just really sick like so if you're trying to say you didn't do it that is not the way to support that i could
1: definitely give some understanding to that of my cool who i I perceive as my cooler older brother and i want to be in his good graces i could see that going a certain amount but not to the point where you're tricking your family to come out of safety uh when you know what's going to happen to them
0: He's got that scrunched little face and the blue eyes. He's a pretty good actor. The pair had been regularly disgusting. Disgusting, yeah. I mean, it <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> they were pretty disgusting. <laughs> the DNA opted to drop the death penalty so that Wait, cr- you said the DNA. Did I really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got Jurassic Park on the brain. <laughs> so I have two links in the script. At. Uh. Murder in the
1: Rain is a Cascade Media production written and hosted by Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough, edited by Josh McCullough. You can always contact us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. If you just can't get enough of murder in the rain for as little as five dollars a month you'll have exclusive access to bonus episodes at patreon.com you can find us on all of the socials and for more true crime follow at m underscore murder in the rain on tiktok and you can also listen to alicia and josh on their other show always be my sisters and suck my balls